So, you know, as recreationists, there's this aspect of wanting to understand the place that you've come to love through recreation and understanding fire is a part of that. There's just this whole process of re-engaging people with the kind of fire that the places that they live and recreate are adapted to and understanding that when your favorite, you know, crag or mountain bike trail or whatever burns in a wildfire, that's not necessarily disaster. Hello everyone and welcome to Life with Fire podcast the podcast that explores our relationship with wildfire and how we can better coexist with it in the future. I'm your host, Amanda Montai, and today we are finally digging into a series that I've been really looking forward to all summer, a sort of connection of a couple of different interests of mine. Um, I will talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But for right now, I want to thank everybody who has purchased stickers in the last few weeks. We have a lot more stickers available, however... I'm also going on this really long road trip until like the middle of September. So if you put a sticker order in basically from today until the middle of September, it'll take a while to get to you. However, I will keep track and I will get those stickers out as soon as I can. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, we do have a Patreon page that I will link to in our show notes. Uh, All support is super appreciated. We have a few episodes that are sponsored, including the one you're listening to. Um, But the ones that aren't sponsored are effectively sponsored by our Patreon supporters. So huge thanks to those of you who are already patrons. And if you'd like to support us over there, we would really appreciate it. Um, It really supports a lot of the work that we are able to do. Any Patreon donations we get in the next few days, basically until the end of the month, will contribute to this wild road trip that I'm going on to get some interviews with folks on the ground, on the road, in person for the first time during the podcast. I'm really excited about that, about chatting with folks in real life for the first time. Hopefully getting some videos of people so you guys can actually like see who I'm chatting with, get some visuals. We'll be traveling from Bellingham over to Salmon, Idaho, and then down to Bishop, California, and then up to Reno. We'll be in Reno for a few days. We'd love to link up with anybody who is in that area, so let us know. And then over towards Redding, and along the way, we're going to stop in the Quincy area, the Crescent Mills area, to check out um, some of the aftermath of the Dixie Fire last year. And actually, more than likely, we'll be linking up with Zeke Lunder, who was a guest of ours last year in May. Um, If you guys haven't listened to his episode, you should definitely go check that out. And Zeke is a really incredible resource for fire information in California, if you guys uh, haven't seen his stuff on Twitter or Facebook. Um, But yeah, so we're going to be driving and just chatting with people and doing in-person interviews and hopefully expanding our ability to get the good word out about good fire. Now let's get into today's episode. Uh, This is the first episode in a series that we're doing that is sponsored by Protect Our Winters. If you guys aren't familiar with Protect Our Winners, uh, they're a climate advocacy organization that engages the outdoor community in sort of climate issues and climate solutions. A lot of their work centers around engaging the climate community in the sort of legislative side of things. So not only helping folks register to vote and encouraging people to vote, but also doing some really good advocacy work on the ground in Washington, D.C. Protect Our Winners is also committed to helping creatives and athletes find their voice within the climate conversation and really take their individual experiences and backgrounds and passions and crafting those things into legitimate, meaningful climate action. For me, uh, I am obviously very passionate about wildfire, and I was really excited that they were willing to support this series. 
because wildfire really is becoming a more pressing issue in the outdoor community and, of course, by extension to the West as a whole, including, it should be noted, vulnerable communities and rural communities and places that maybe don't have the resources to build resilience to wildfire nor to recover from wildfires when they do end up happening. And it just so happens that a lot of the rural communities that are impacted by wildfires are also mountain towns and places that people actively seek out to do the activities that they enjoy, whether that's mountain biking or hiking or climbing or skiing or any number of other activities that people do and people actively seek out in these places that are also fire adapted. So while this series will focus really heavily on outdoor recreation and the outdoor community, it's of course worth noting that wildfire impacts things like poor air and water quality or forest closures or trail closures or evacuations are all occurring across the board and of course do not just impact the outdoor community but communities across the West. So while wildfires may be forcing our hand and forcing us to rethink our relationships with these landscapes, I think that they're also providing a really good opportunity to not only learn how to be better stewards of the land, but also really understand the accountability that we have to the landscapes that we love and that we utilize for all those activities that we all associate with living in the mountains out west. And for many of us, the reasons that we move to these places. That stewardship undoubtedly requires education and learning more about the landscapes that you live in, but it also requires action. So actually showing up, speaking out, getting involved with organizations that are already doing really good work, uh, maybe the Fire Adapted Network or the Fire Wise organization, um, volunteering, maybe getting your hands dirty even. These are all really essential elements to becoming better stewards of the land because we don't want to just talk about the climate-related sort of challenges that we face. Uh, we also want to dig into that legitimate action that we're collectively capable of. And that's a big part of why we've decided to partner with Protect Our Winners, because we want to bring more attention to the ways that our favorite trails and watersheds and forests are shifting with each passing fire season, as well as how we can become better stewards of the land that we love. So in this four-part series, we will cover advocacy and action, as well as the future of wildfire in the West, kind of what that looks like. And most importantly, we'll talk to guests about how we can all do a better job of helping our communities build resilience to the inevitable presence of wildfire. Throughout this series, we hope to educate you on what's at stake with our shifting climate while encouraging you to not only learn more and vote in the midterms, but to find actionable ways that you can actually help your community build climate resilience. If you want to learn more about Protect Our Winners, you can check out www.stokethevote.com. On that website, you can also pledge to vote early in the upcoming midterms, and you can learn more about the organization and kind of what they're up to and how you can support them. So one more big thanks to Protect Our Winners for supporting this episode and the series. And let's get into our episode for today. We spoke with Jamie Irvin of the Outdoor Alliance. Jamie has done some wildfire policy work in the past, and he ended up translating that experience to a position with Outdoor Alliance, where he is now a policy associate. He has a strong focus on wildfire in that position, but also generally on public lands policy and how that connects to the outdoor industry. So as you can imagine, he was kind of the perfect guest to walk us through this topic and the introduction to this podcast series. So thank you to Jamie for coming on the show. And after potentially the longest intro in Life with Fire podcast history, we are finally ready to give you this episode. So let's hear from Jamie. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 
I work for Outdoor Alliance now, which is a national coalition of outdoor recreation organizations representing the human powered recreation community. So that's mountain bikers, climbers, paddlers, skiers. Um, and all these groups work together on policy in DC and elsewhere. Um, and I'm the policy associate. I'm actually like super new to my job, just about six months in. Um, and so the, the overlap of wildfire for me is that before this, um, I lived in Northern California for the last five years or so. And I worked for an organization called Sierra Forest Legacy that is sort of a force in fire policy there and has worked for a long time to promote prescribed fire in particular. Um, and my entire job and my previous role was, was to push forward policies that um, advance prescribed fire and the pace and scale of managed wildfire and other tools. Um, and so I have a little bit of that background in policy. Um, and then I was involved with starting a prescribed burn association for local landowners where I lived in Nevada County, California. Um, but yeah, so for a bunch of reasons, I've moved back to the East Coast. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina now, which is about an hour from where I grew up. And um, that's coincided with changing roles over here to Outdoor Alliance. Um, so recreation policy is just another interest of mine. And I had the privilege of collaborating with a bunch of outdoor rec organizations while I was in California. Um, I've been a climber since I was you know, a teenager and uh, it's just a big part of my life. So uh, yeah, I think you probably could have a lot of people on here that are a lot more qualified to talk about recreation or fire, but I, I think, you know, I've got some overlap from both those things. Yeah, totally. You represent the Venn diagram of those two organizations or of those two sort of worlds. <laughs> so I'm curious how Outdoor Alliance specifically is getting involved in the fire conversation. It seems like you've been kind of spearheading this side of the Outdoor Alliance and this sort of work. Um, maybe you can correct me if I was wrong there, but um, how have you, how have you sort of helped shape uh, the fire side of things at Outdoor Alliance? Sure. So, I mean, it's not completely new to OA. Um, I think the member organizations of Outdoor Alliance and uh, local groups and they're affiliated with have worked on this stuff, you know, sort of adjacently for a long time. I, I mean, we were big supporters of the fire funding fix um, in Congress a few years back. And I think it's always been an interest. Um, with the last few years, having had such intense wildfire seasons in the West in particular, um, that have caused a whole slate of impacts for outdoor recreation. Um, I'm not totally sure where you're based, but where I was in Northern California, I mean, we had all of the national forests close, I think for the last two summers. And then our friends in New Mexico had the same thing just happened to them this, um, this past spring. So it's, it's huge impact, you know, closures of public lands, um, smoke making it pretty much impossible to go outside. Um, and, you know, that's, clear connection to just preventing people from doing outdoor recreation at all during peak wildfire season. Um, with OA, I think for a long time, you know, recreation and, uh, you know, conservation organizations have been pretty quick to tie fire issues directly to climate change, which is, you know, a correct framing and climate change is a big part of the picture here. And if I was going to do one thing to fix our wildfire problem, it would still be solve climate change. But you know, that, that framing misses this whole storyline that I think your podcast listeners are probably familiar with around fire suppression and removal of indigenous peoples from the landscape. Um, and so, you know, a sole focus on climate, I think keeps you from building the fire culture, I guess, that um, we need to address these things. So, I mean, OA has literally just started doing this work. I think it's, it's uh, something we want to build up, but, um, 
our goal at first year, especially as a communications one, helping make sure that more people that are engaged in outdoor recreation understand fire as a natural process and understand that there are things we can do about this um, short of you know, solving the entire climate crisis. Yeah, and that's a really important point that actually was like sort of the foundation of how we came to have this conversation or how we came to find each other is I posted something on Twitter about this, about how I feel like the reducing emissions conversation really takes away the messaging that we that we need to like hold ourselves more accountable to how we adapt to the climate crisis, which is very much kind of the most actionable or like the most pressing issue I think in the wildfire space right now is like, how are we actually going to adapt to this? Like, how can we hold ourselves more accountable to these landscapes and to these processes and not just be like, well, we just all need to like, we need less industry and we need less carbon emissions. And like, there's nothing we can do individually about this. I really feel like that pulls away from that individual action that actually can make a difference. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe what you perceive to be some of those individual actions or some of those organizational actions, maybe grassroots work, grassroots work that the outdoor industry can be capable of given how big of an industry it is and how, um, you know, I guess profound of an industry it is. Sure. Um... Yeah, well, I mean, so Outdoor Alliance, to be clear, we don't represent the outdoor industry. There's you know, separate advocacy groups that do that, but we collaborate closely with them and it's a big part of how we think about these issues. Um, so, I mean, like I was saying, I mean, for us, it starts with communications and making sure we're telling the story right around fire. Um, so, um, you know, I've worked in this space for five-ish years now um, and I, which is not that long in the scheme of things, but it's it just feels apparent to me that this is a cultural problem that we have. People misunderstand the landscapes that we live and recreate in and the role that fire plays in them. And it's, you know, there's policy solutions get promote, proposed that sort of misapply, you know, something that might work in Southern California, you know, doesn't work in um, like the Pacific Northwest. And there's just this whole process of re-engaging people with the kind of fire that the places that they live and recreate are adapted to. And understanding that when your favorite, you know, crag or mountain bike trail or whatever burns in a wildfire, if you live, especially in the West or in the Southeast or somewhere that's um, has a lot of fire adapted and fire dependent ecosystems, that's not necessarily disaster. And then that's, it's probably good, you know, or it's not probably good given fire suppression and everything, but, you know, those places need fire. And this reality that we've lived in where, you know, Yosemite National Park has no smoke all year round. I mean, that's that's just a product of, of people in our modern society. And like, you know, I guess people just need to understand the role that fire plays. It's good fire, there's good smoke, um, and recreationists are a part of that. So that's the first piece um, I, I think of what our platform is. Beyond comms, I mean, the, you know, OA's biggest role is engaging in federal policy. Um, and there's a bunch of attention to federal wildfire policy right now. There are a bunch of good and bad bills to do various things to solve um, our wildfire crisis. Um, and so we're interested in putting the outdoor communities um, support behind ones that we think are good. And I can, if you want, lay out some, you know, concepts, I think that um, fit that. Um, and then also pushing back on proposals that we think are unhelpful or that might cause other issues for the outdoor community. And you explained this uh, to a certain extent earlier, but I'm curious why you perceive or why you think the outdoor community 
maybe should be more engaged in this conversation or why they should care about this conversation and why it's kind of prescient at this exact moment? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, one, one reason is that they're highly affected by it. Um, places, you know, our most famous recreation day destinations in the country, a lot of them are in highly fire dependent, fire adapted ecosystems. Um, so, you know, as recreationists, there's this aspect of wanting to understand the place that you've come to love through recreation and um, understanding fire is a part of that. Um, I think, you know, another piece of this, when I envision recreationist role, it's, um, you know, at this point, a lot of these Western gateway communities and, you know, communities that butt up against the national forest, like the, the recreation community is a considerable political force in those places. And, and their transition to having a mix of recreation um, and other things in their economy. Um, and so if, you know, your local movers and shakers and a place like, like Lake Tahoe, for example, or someone like that, or somewhere like that, um, understand this stuff, you're gonna be more likely to be able to do something productive about it rather than just argue or um, invest money in the wrong place. Um, so I think building some consensus around what the solutions are um, is helpful there. And then in, in particular, I mean, I'm a big advocate still just personally for expanding prescribed fire and managed wildfire. And I don't, I honestly don't see a way that we really address this challenge without building this major workforce that can do both of those things. Um, and so, you know, that's not without cost to the recreation community, right? I mean, the, there's going to be a lot of smoke from this future that um, I see as being a better future with where there's a lot more prescribed fire going on. And so currently, this is not across the board, but I, you know, I think recreation can be a barrier to, to good fire in a way. Like you, no one wants smoke. Um, no one wants to breathe smoke when they're trying to get outside. Um, and as I was like putting together that blog post that kind of connected us, um, I mean, I was, this was months ago, but, um, you know, I was trying to go trail running outside of Asheville that afternoon and I was really pumped about it and then got out and it was smoked out because the Forest Service was doing like a 2,500 acre prescribed burn. And I was kind of like, well, I can't, can't really complain about this because I've just spent like the morning writing about how we need to accept this stuff. But, you know, there's, there's just this, like, I, I, instead of viewing that as an issue, I think recreationists need to understand that it's an asset on the landscape. Um, and then in places like the West where there's currently this, you know, great fear of wildfire, um, recreationists can be pushing for more good fire and at meetings with the Forest Service or others asking why, you know, when are you gonna burn this or like, you know, what are you going to do about this? And um, yeah, I think in, in my future world where recreationists are more engaged on this stuff, that kind of thing's happening. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about like your utopic vision of the of the West or of fire adapted landscapes in the future. And I wonder if there is anything else that you've thought about that is like maybe a little bit like out there even about what you would, how you would like to see the outdoor industry engage in this conversation, in this potential movement. You know, like I've thought about like how cool it would be. Personally, I just, I feel like my connection to my natural landscape, the, the landscapes around me has improved dramatically since I started working in fire and since I've like learned how to put fire on the ground and just learned more about the presence of fire in the places where I live. I feel like my relationship has like really deepened with the places where I like to recreate. So to see maybe the potential for, you know, like this green new deal, like civilian conservation core, but like really like empowering people to learn how to like put fire on the ground, 
um, to become burn managers, even if that's not something that they're actually doing uh, as a career, but really just like getting this, like building this like sort of volunteer workforce, maybe of recreationists. I don't know how out there that is, but I would like love to see that eventually where people are like able to sort of build that same relationship that I've built, but without like fully committing their life and their career to firefighting. Totally. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, an ideal world, right, where everyone's a member of their own prescribed burn association and along with, uh, you know, doing things like building mountain bike trails, we're going out there and putting good fire on the ground, like during volunteer days and things like that. Um, you know, I, I think that that type of thing is a big lift, but I do, I mean, having spent a bunch of time with the wildland fire community and then also with the outdoor community, there's a ton of overlap and it's a lot of the same kind of personalities that you see and people that love public lands and love doing things that are hard. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that kind of thing's possible. I know personally for me, I mean, I just moved back to the East coast after being out West for five years. And like the way that I'm looking at the forests around here is so different than before I went out there. And these are also, you know, Southern hardwood and pine forests are, are super fire adapted. It's, you know, we don't get regular, um, intense wildfire seasons like a lot of parts of the west do but it's you know prescribed fire is a big deal and i i would venture to say that our local national forest here outside of Asheville, the pisgah um probably does more prescribed burning than the tahoe where i just was um but you know in the same way that recreationists are clued into say you know tree species or wildlife or different things that you might find cool about the places that you're out hiking or paddling or whatever um, understanding the natural fire regime and understanding that people have a role to play with that or play in that. And then another piece of this that's been help for, helpful for me is like sort of a, you know, I, I came to be working in this kind of thing from like a very traditional um, European kind of conservation perspective, you know, John Muir and, um, you know, let's protect land and let's protect wilderness. And, you know, I still believe in a lot of that stuff, but like, spending time out west and getting to know some of the tribes and getting to know cultural fire a little bit and getting to know um, like the consequences of removing that has, has taught me a lesson about how we've ignored traditional ecological knowledge in a way that I don't think a lot of other things could have. Um, and I think that kind of thing is valuable for recreationists too. And like, you know, viewing people's role on these lands, fire is a really good lens to understand that stuff. Um, and like even just along those lines, we've got, I think in a few weeks, like an online panel we're gonna do with um, Ron Good from down near Yosemite, tribal leader that we should maybe link to in this. Um, that'll be on how recreationists can support tribes just generally, but I think cultural burning will probably be part of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's all just valuable for recreationists to be thinking about that and it gives you a much deeper understanding of public lands than you might have had otherwise. And it's especially a deeper understanding than what you get from just watching, you know, a modern catastrophic wildfire tear through a place that you care about and um, alter it in what you see as a negative way. How do you show up and speak out? POW invites you to join the Stoke the Vote movement, to engage, to show up at POW events, and to vote this November. We will host over 40 in-person events from coast to coast with our alliance of professional climbers, snowboarders, skiers, runners, and bikers. From our fall Stoke Fest film tour to shop talks at climbing gyms, bike shops, and outdoor stores to a college tour with POW's founder and professional snowboarder Jeremy Jones. 
We are fired up to connect and inspire you and the rest of the outdoor state. POW and our Alliance of Athletes invite you to meet the moment because midterms matter now more than ever. Join us. As far as mobilizing the, the outdoor industry, I think making the case to people that this is a big issue that's not projected to get any better anytime soon, right? These summers we've had in recent years and falls where you're breathing smoke for a month or more, weeks at a time, um, that's sort of, that's happening because we're at this tipping, this, this point where climate change and, um, you know, 100 years of bad forest management um, have kind of both come to a head at the same time. And there's something we can do about both, but um, it can feel daunting if you focus too hard on climate, I think, <laughs> like you were saying. Um, so I think making the case to people that, you know, this is not a problem that's going away, but wildfires don't have to be this bad. Um, this is not always how fire behaved in the US and we can have, you know, a lot of fire burning under more moderate conditions and that can help prevent events like the Dixie fire that happened last summer that burned for, for months and destroyed towns. Um, and so, you know, I think making that case that this is a, this is a place that deserves attention. Um, and in terms of specific policies, um, I mean, there's a bunch you can do, right? A big part of OA's work is, is advocating for better capacity for the agencies. And this is something that we've done a long time for recreation staff. Um, a lot of the federal agencies, the Forest Service, the BLM are working, you know, being tasked with doing more and more and more in terms of recreation, recreational use across the public lands, and they have less resources to do it than they did 20 years ago. Um, and then the people that they do have, they're not as, you know, considering inflation or not able to pay them enough. Um, and so that applies to fire too, right? I mean, we, we want to advocate for more money for firefighters. We want to advocate for um, better working conditions for people that do prescribe fire and just generally more robust, stronger, better funded agencies. And so that's adding fire into that, I think is a pretty clear connection for the outdoor industry and the outdoor community. Um, Apart from capacity type stuff, I mean, there are a bunch of good bills um, out there that could use support from, you know, more than the usual shortlisted green groups that work on this stuff and other organizations. Um, Senator Wyden has a great prescribed fire bill. Um, there's opportunities to make progress in all this stuff in the farm bill, which will happen next year. Um, there's Senator Feinstein has a great fire bill um, promoting large landscape restoration projects and uh, improving workforce capacity around this stuff. So there's a bunch of places like that already exists like that, that we can plug in. Um, and then at the same time, um, another, you know, policy angle that I see for us in this is that there's, you know, a pretty large contingency of policymakers that view wildfire issues and are you know, worsening wildfires around the country as having been caused by our environmental laws um, and things like the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, the Wilderness Act, all those things, um, you know, are, are tossed out commonly in congressional hearings as the reason that we're having worsening wildfires. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons that we can get into if you want on why I don't think that's, you know, necessarily correct or, or, or the biggest issue that we need to tackle. Um, but those same protections are hugely important for outdoor recreation. The NEPA process is the way that we engage with federal agencies on this stuff. And we wanna make sure that 
no compromise that gets made or no bill that gets passed to address fire issues weakens the ability of recreationists to um, engage on uh, projects on federal land through NEPA or through other avenues. So there's a connection there. And then on that same front, I think understanding how to make those processes more efficient for restoration projects that aren't controversial, I think we can be helpful there. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, I mean, I think in, in terms of just doing some of the stewardship work around this stuff, I've heard, um, you know, different groups that do trail maintenance and that kind of thing, I think are interested in using some of that same capacity to help with fire lines and help with um, fuel breaks and that kind of thing, but they're, they're not, they don't have a lot of direction around that right now. Um, so building all that out, I think can be really helpful. And the thing that I, I'm realizing I didn't talk about at all is, is like the aspect of how recreationists are affected directly by wildfire with, you know, fires burning through areas we care about and, you know, any sort of remediation or getting those areas back open can take a really long time. It can be really uncertain. And that's, that's another um, big challenge for the recreation community. Totally. Um, yeah. And, and one where people want to engage, um, you know, thoughtfully, it's, you know, there's, I think there's an understanding that the Forest Service or the Park Service or whoever is in a tough spot with this stuff and you don't want to have to open an area up to people if it's actually unsafe, but um, if it's more of a capacity issue and they just haven't had the time to go through the process of reopening it or if there's some other outstanding issue that we could easily take care of with some volunteer work or something like that, I mean, I think people, um, people want to figure out how the recreation community can plug in as part of the solution there for sure. All right, that is what we have for you for today for this episode, our first episode in a series that is sponsored by Protect Our Winters, where we are diving into outdoor recreation and how it's being impacted by wildfire. So thanks to Jamie for coming on the show. Thanks to Pow for sponsoring this episode as well as the next three episodes. And I hope you guys got a good introduction to this topic and are excited for the next couple of episodes. We're going to be talking to some Pow athletes, Cody Townsend, Dylan Osliger, a few others, as well as a few scientists from the POW Science Alliance. So we'll be talking about how wildfires impact snowpack. We'll even be talking about the economic impact of wildfires, uh, especially on these towns that do rely pretty heavily on outdoor recreation for their tourism base. And yeah, we've got a lot on the plate for you guys. It'll be releasing over the next three weeks to a month uh, with our last episode publishing in October, early October. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Please share this with anybody who you think might be interested in it. And yeah, check out our show notes if you would like to support us on Patreon or if you'd like to learn more about Protect Our Winners Stoke the Vote campaign. So thanks again for listening and we will catch you on the next one.